Our scripture reading this morning comes from a select passages of 2 Samuel chapter 12 and Psalm 51. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Verse 18. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. I want to wish all the dads a warm, happy Father's Day. Incredibly thankful uh, for your presence here this morning. Uh, just really your time here, um, always encouraging to see uh, just, you know, men wanting to uh, raise their children up in faith. I, I feel like we don't see that often, so seeing it here this morning, encouraged, honored to, to see it. Thank you guys. May your day uh, be filled with much joy, honor, good food and the Cleveland Cavaliers victory tonight. <laughs> I don't think they even watch basketball, it's just me. But uh, I'm incredibly thankful for you guys and just to see what you guys have been doing, man. I really do honor, I really do appreciate uh, what it, seeing what it means to be a godly man. Thank you guys. I'm gonna ask that you guys join me in prayer. I'm gonna pray for the fathers here and as we pray uh, for the word this morning. Join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you uh, for this morning. Um, Lord, on this day, uh, Lord God, we want to honor uh, godly men uh, that love and serve you. Lord God, we praise you for their presence within this ministry. Uh, we thank you, Lord God, that um, you are giving them a conviction to lead by grace. And Lord God, to really reflect Christ in the household and Lord God, as we are reminded of this day, Lord God, we are ultimately reminded that you are a good, good father. You are a father to the fatherless. Lord God, you are hope to the hopeless. And we praise you. Lord, you know where I am this morning. You know my heart. You know my burdens, my anxieties, and my insecurities. So, Lord God, I draw near to you, Lord God, for the sake of your word and your glory. Lord God, this morning, Lord God, may it be your word, your inspired scripture, Lord God, to speak. 
I pray, Lord God, that you will use me accordingly to your strength, Lord God, for I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. So God, use this time and for your name's sake. We thank you. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I was born and raised in a small section of Philadelphia, Albany, for 18 years of my life. And I loved Albany. It's a heart, it's, it's a dear part of me. Um, I'll never forget it. It's actually where I want to be one day. And I loved Albany because um, I knew that it shaped me in, in, in such a radical and different way uh, due to my surroundings. See, Albany uh, had a, a really big hip-hop influence. So naturally, uh, being a product of the environment, growing up in Albany, I also, too, just kind of fell in love with the hip-hop culture. You know, for me, uh, I grew up with the Wu-Tang Clan. I grew up with Notorious B.I.G. I grew up with Nas and Tupac Shakur. You guys are saying, who? I listened to Alanis Morissette and the Jim Blossoms. I'm just joking. Um, but, you know, listening to the culture, falling in love with the culture, uh, it really shaped me of who I was back then in a lot of ways. It's shaping uh, me for who I am today. I loved the culture. I loved it so much. I wanted to be a part of it. You know, I remember growing up in high school, I wanted to be just like the rappers. In fact, I actually wanted to rap. That's pretty embarrassing, right? But I really wanted that for my life. I remember, uh, uh, you know, wearing uh, these big triple XL Kooji sweaters. If y'all don't know what a Kooji sweater is, you look it up and you're going to see a lot of bright colors. I'll say that. I used to wear uh, the guest jeans with the pen pockets. I used to wear uh, the Timberland boots. You had to make sure they were in the tan. I used to wear the fitted hats. I remember all my prom nights, sadly to say, I had like the biggest Steve Harvey white suit. And like, if you see me, I'm like a really small, short guy. But I had this big white Steve Harvey suit with fake turquoise blue gators on. I just was so in love uh, with what I seen in terms of the hip hop culture. But it's interesting was that many of my Korean brethren picked up on that. And they took notice and they would question. Specifically, they would question my identity. And they would say certain things. And uh, one friend in particular would always come up to me and he would say, Brian, you know, I see what you're doing, but man, what are you doing? And he would say this all the time. Brian, you have to be more Korean. Thought about it. In fact, I was a little confused by it. I'm a young guy, and, you know, I'm going through my identity issues, trying to figure out who I am. It actually kind of shook me up a little bit. Started thinking, started reflecting as he kept on saying, Brian, you have to be more Korean. I would eventually respond and ask him back, what does it mean to be Korean? 
See, realizing uh, for him, I, I think he realized it was kind of offensive. In fact, that he probably thought the question was immature. He really had no response. Now, not everyone in this room, but many in this room would probably say and declare, I'm a Christian. And just as I asked my friend about what does it mean to be Korean, how do you respond when someone asks, what does it mean to be a Christian? See, being a Christian, a believer in the gospel, there are a lot of things you can respond, but One way in particularly this morning is that one is repentance. What it means to be repentant. In the biblical Hebrew, uh, shuv is often translated as repentance, uh, but more accurately it means to turn. That repentance in in the big picture definition is not just turning away from your sin, but essentially it's a U-turn primarily to God himself. Repentance is a life response. As the great theologian Martin Luther said, all of life is repentance. And I do wonder, I ask, if we are repentant enough because I know I lack it myself. So today we're going to answer the question, uh, what does it mean to be repentant? There are four components of true gospel repentance as we go over Psalm 51. There are four points today. Uh, Confession, reconciliation, restoration, and community. First point, repentance is marked by confession. Psalm 51 is written by King David and is after one of the most dramatic accounts in the Old Testament. We see it in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 12. And it tells us that one night in Jerusalem, uh, King David, he was walking upon his rooftop. He looks down and he spots a, a beautiful woman bathing nearby. So David inquires. He asks his servants about her. Who is that lady that I am seeing? They respond, her name is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, one of David's mighty men. So we're starting to see the problem. David is coveting another man's wife. But he continues in this process. Despite her marital status, despite the fact that it was the wife of his mighty uh, men, that it was actually a friend he pursues. David being infatuated with Bathsheba, he summons her to his palace. He covers her intimacy, and they would sleep together, a case of adultery. Later, we fast forward, Bathsheba would find out that she was pregnant, and she informs David So just as any punk would do, he gets scared, gets a little shaken up, gets afraid. So what does he do? He attempts to hide his sin. So what does David do? Uh, David commanded Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. He says, you know, I know you're in war right now, uh, but, but come back. 
I want you to come back for me because uh, I want you to just rest with your wife. You deserve it, right? So what, what's David trying to do? He's trying to cover up his sin. He's hoping that Uriah would sleep with Bathsheba, right? So, you know, it would, you know they would find out that it's Uriah's. Everything will be good. It's the perfect cover-up. But what happens? It didn't work. Right? David actually, uh, Uriah actually decides uh, not to go with that plan. So now the plan failed. Uh, David is freaking out. He's getting anxious. Uh, but rather than confessing, he wants to continue into his cover-up. So now David, he enacts a second plan. So what does he do now? He takes it one step forward. He says, I have to cover this up. I cannot get caught. So what does he do? He gets his military leader, Joab. And he instructs Joab this, Joab, when you go back into war, place Uriah in the front lines of battle. When attack is to come, I want you guys to fall back so Uriah can get the hit, be exposed to enemy attack, so Uriah would be murdered. So here we are in Psalm 51. Here we have a liar, an adulterer, and a murderer. David is not repenting religiously in this passage. David is broken. That's why David says in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Now, what I love about this passage is that even though uh, David has sinned against many, right? He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against Joab. But first and foremost, he brings it to the Lord. Look at verse 4. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. What do we see right now, church? Confession is the first step of true gospel repentance. See, confession essentially is the overflow of a broken heart. In other words, uh, repentance is not just a religious act. Uh, Tim Keller says that in religion, the purpose of repentance is to keep God happy so he will continue to bless you and answer your prayers. But in the gospel, repentance is really just the overflow of a broken heart. In religion, you repent to seek God's favor, but within the gospel, you repent as a response, knowing God has already given you favor. See, David understands the, the depravity of his sin, and he's confessing his brokenness. Verse 5 Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Uh, Michel Foucault was a French philosopher, and in the book, The History of Sexuality, he talks about the power of confession. He says, The confession became one of the West's most highly valued techniques for producing truth. We have become a confessing society, our society has become obsessed with 
the infinite task, I love this part, the infinite task of extracting from the depths of oneself in between the words a truth which the very form of the confession holds out like a shimmering mirage. I love that. See, in the same way when we confess, it's not just lip service. It's an extraction. It's extracting the depths of our sin, but also seeing the truth and the promise of God. Church, when was the last time you repented for the depth and weight of your sin? When was the last time you wept over your sin? When was the last time you sought out repentance for sinning against God, only Him, rather than just doing it for the sake of? See, I know for me, I'm overly empathetic to brokenness, almost to a sin at times. But I do echo the Apostle Paul if your brokenness leads to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 and 10 says, Yet now I am happy. I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Confession is more than lip service. As verse 17 says, confession is the overflow of a broken spirit, broken and a contrite heart, but God will not despise, which leads us to the second point. The second point, repentance leads to reconciliation. See, David is broken over his sin of duplicity, adultery, and murder. David understands that he deserves desertion from the very presence of God. So what does David do? David is begging. He's begging. What's he begging? He's begging to be clean because he wants to enter the very house of God, but at the same time he knows that he's undeserving because of his dirt because of his mess and because of this mess he knows that without God there is no access so what does he do he says God give me access to your intimacy in other words David in full faith is asking for forgiveness that's why in verse 7 he says cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean wash me and I will be whiter than snow. In the Old Testament, uh, hyssop was uh, a mint herb, and it was used uh, for lepers. So they can present themselves for uh, uh, just occasions of purification. What would happen was the priest, uh, if he was satisfied with the unclean person, the leper, uh, if he uh, met the requirements for purification, uh, what the priest would do is he would take hyssop and he would sprinkle the person with the water in this symboling, uh, symbolizing act of ritual cleansing. And what David is saying in verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean and I will be whiter than snow. What David is really asking is, God, I need you to be my priest. I need you to cleanse me. 
I need you to get rid of my junk. I need you to get, uh, purify me from my brokenness and my suffering and the sins that I have committed against my friends. And ultimately you, I need cleansing so I can have access towards you. See, why is that important to know? It's important because it is. When we see verse 7, it says that repentance, the act of repentance doesn't necessarily make us clean. Repentance is declaring that we need cleansing and someone has to do it for us. So who does it for us today? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 13, the author of Hebrews says, But when Christ came as a high priest, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most highly placed once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. See, we have something much greater than a priest. We have the great high priest, and his name is Jesus Christ. And in the person and works of him, his perfect record of righteousness substitutes for our iniquities. Christ is the only sacrifice that he, God has permanently delighted in. Christ is the fulfillment of verse 19 that says, Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. What does that mean for us right now in the moment is this. When you pray, when you repent, when you confess, you are open, you are broken, you say, Lord, cleanse me. But may you come in confidence for you and I have a great high priest, and he cleanses you wider than snow. Are you with me today this morning? So when you pray, you confess, but come in full assurance knowing that you are by the blood of Christ. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, All this is from God who reconciled to us himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He is the great high priest, for he sacrificed himself. It is only Christ's blood that erases our guilt. That leads us to the third point. The outcome of gospel repentance is restoration. Look at verse 10 through 12 with me. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What are we seeing? We're seeing that repentance is leading to David's restoration. It's leading to his renewal. And what does renewal look like? I love verse 12, that restore to me the joy of your salvation. But what do we mean by joy when we look at this passage? See, it's interesting because nowhere in this passage tells us that joy is coming from a change of circumstance. 
Nowhere in Psalm 51 is there a change of circumstance, right? None. But what do we see is that, is that in this passage is that there is not a change of circumstance, but there is a circumcision of the heart. That is where true joy begins. That is true restoration. Let me say it like this. You're doing a disservice to the gospel if you say that the gospel offers changed circumstance. It's a false hope. Tell that to the widow. Tell that to the divorced. Tell that to the victim. Tell that to the Davids in your life. There are circumstances, many of our circumstances, we never change. But what can change is the disposition of our hearts. See, the joy of your salvation is knowing that God is with you in the circumstances, not that he changes them for you. And let me say this on top. If this is true, as I'm still processing this right now, I mean, I'm saying this as someone that's really repenting because at times in the moment, I don't even get this. I'm like, God, are you really that good? But let me say this. If it begins true, I promise it will radically transform on how you live today. Look at verse 13 to 14, because this is what we're seeing. We are actually seeing restoration. We're seeing a change, a radical transformation in David's life. Look at it, verse 13 to 14. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. Oh God, you who are my God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Look at this. He is going from fully uh, broken estate, a liar, an adulterer, and a murderer, and now what do we see? He's a preacher, he's a counselor, and he is worshiping. What do we see is that he's giving God through the circumstance. He's experienced full restoration. That is the hope. That is the joy. You know, sometimes God offers you a restoration plan. And all we're called to do is be obedient to it. Will you be obedient to God's restoration plan for you? He's doing it. He's already doing it. You may not believe it right now. In the moment, you're saying, I'm not really believing this restoration plan. But trust in it. Commit to it. Believe in it. For Christ is with you in the moment. He's with you. He is for you. He is not against you. And for David, the promise of joy comes from him. It comes from his presence. His joy comes from knowing that he is with him in the moments, just as he is with you right now in the circumstance. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what is to come. But trust in the Lord, for he is with you, and he is restoring you through the fire. So what does repentance look like for us today? How do we apply this text? Well, I think the one big picture we can see, uh, even though it's not specifically stated in Psalm 51, uh, but one 
a big application point is that it's done in community. Now, don't forget that Psalm 51 uh, it has to, to really enrich, to really kind of like see the beauty of Psalm 51. You always have to see it in context. So don't forget, uh, Psalm 51 is coming from 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. See, the only reason why David prays this famous prayer is because when David and Bathsheba's child was born, what would the Lord do? The Lord sent a prophet, Nathan, to confront David. David confronts, Nathan confronts David, and he uses this parable. He says, a rich man took a poor, man, poor man's only sheep and killed it. Even though he had many flocks of his own, David, a former shepherd, was so angered by the story, and he thought it was true and responded, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. So David is having a conversation with Nathan. He thought like he was just talking about some other Joe Schmo, right? Like a regular conversation. They're just chopping it up. But what does Nathan do? Nathan, he actually then points to David and says in verse 7, You are the man. See, he's pointing Nathan's sin. He's calling him out. And he's stating that David was guilty of the sin. You are the person in this parable. You are the one that is uh, in duplicity. You are the one uh, that committed adultery. You are the one that was slaying the sheep. And it was because of Nathan's very rebuke, David responds in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart. Church, who are your Nathans? Who is the Nathan in your life? And to go a little deeper, how do you respond when your Nathan actually says, You are the man? See, we could find Nathans, and you could try to get a Nathan, but if you ain't responding to Nathan, well, I don't know how helpful it's really going to be. Church, plug in. Plug into community. Plug into the life of community. Find that Nathan within your life. Pray with that Nathan. Build it up. Because we see that the repentance that in Psalm 51, the, the richness, the beauty of Psalm 51, it, only came because God sent Nathan to David. Who are your Nathans? Plug into community. Plug into church. Have meals with them over dinner tables for the sake of seeing them at the grand dining table with the king. I'm going to close with this. If God's grace has the power to cleanse David's lives, then God's grace has the power to cleanse your defeat. If God's grace has the power to cleanse David's adultery, then it certainly has the power to cleanse you from your sexual immorality. If God's grace has the power to cleanse David's very act of murder, 
then it most certainly has the power to cleanse you from your anger, your rage, and your self-justification. Don't think you can't be reconciled because of your track record. But know that you do have a track record. You always will have a track record. So you say, Lord, here I am. This is my record. I give it to you knowing you are the great high priest. And you cleanse and you remove my name from the very book of sin that I deserve to be on. But because of Christ, you close it and you open yourself to me for your glory and our good. Will you join me in prayer right now?